In today's episode of the podcast, I spoke with a lady called Michelle. And it was one of those episodes where I got to do something I'd always wanted to do. And I got to speak with a financial planner. And as much as I've always wanted to speak to a financial planner, I didn't really know what one did either. So it was a great um, introduction to what financial planning is and why you should do it. But it's also opened up the opportunity for Michelle and I to talk again next year about other aspects of financial planning. And I'm looking forward to bringing those podcasts to you as well. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, Michelle. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm very, very well. And as I said, just briefly, as I was introducing myself, I have never had a conversation with a financial planner. And I, I, I feel, yeah, well, it is, but I feel like I, I, I should, I'm not sure if I should sort of sit on the naughty step either. No, definitely not. No, I think a lot of people, whenever they hear finance, they think, oh, this is going to be boring or there's going to be lots of numbers or maths involved, but it's not like that. So what is a financial planner? Or why would I come and see you? So a financial planner is three things. So we wear three different hats when we are planning. So the first thing that we are is a bit of a coach. Yeah. So when we first meet, we'll be talking about um, yourself, what uh, is important to you, what's not important to you. And we all have different ways of doing it. Um, so we, we start off by really trying to get to know our clients and really getting to, to the root of uh, what they're looking for from life. Then we switch hats and we become the planner. Uh, and what the planner does is it's all about graphs and spreadsheets for us, um, but showing you how to achieve all those things that you want and how much money you're going to need to achieve all the things that you want. So, so, for example, if you came to me and said, Michelle, uh, I would really like to retire then we would go through coaching exercises to see um, what's important to you in retirement. So what does your ideal retirement look like for you? So is it um, caravan holidays regularly or is it around the world trip on a yacht? Is it a holiday home in Spain? So we uncover all of that and then we set to work on planning out how much money you're going to need to do all of those things in retirement. Um, Then we work out how much money you've got and see whether that's going to be enough. And then once we've done all of that and we're happy with our plans, we then become financial advisors and we then look at the recommendations for where you should put your money in order to achieve all the things that you want. So that's what a planner does. Right. So, yeah, like you say, there's three hats there, isn't there? There's, there's a lot to take on. So, right, what is it? So I guess that the, the big thing... Well, one of the first things that come to me is, and I think we all use this excuse, so is I don't have enough money. Oh, I hear that so much, and oh, um, look, I'm psychic. all of the time. I all I hear that all of the time, and one of my biggest bugbears about the profession is that we've made people feel like that. We in financial services have contributed to that feeling. I don't have enough money, so why would I come and see you? But Um, I see lots of different people from lots of different um, backgrounds, lots of different financial positions. And my job is really to help you get the most out of what you have got. So um, every now and again. uh, So last week I saw a lady who is, she really wants to retire. She really, really wants to retire. She's had enough. She's put a fair shift in. She's nearly 70 and she's done it. She's been nursing since she was she left school yeah. so it's time for her to retire but she's worked she can't retire because she has a mortgage and she has an interest only mortgage and she's really worried about that so she's wrapped up in all of these um stresses and problems and just keeps on going to work which is not doing any good for her health and then a friend of hers who was one of my clients said um, go and see michelle to see what michelle can do to help you so i went out to go and see her and we've done we've renegotiated the whole thing so that she can afford to retire now so it may not be the ideal situation it may not be everybody's dream scenario of retirement but my goal is to get that lady to where she wants to be with what she's got 
Yeah. Uh, so she can now retire because of the work that we put in place. She can now retire. So arguably, she'd say, "I don't have enough money to go and see a financial advisor," but uh, we can help everybody. Uh, it's just what you need. Yeah. Yeah. So people. So that's. So people come and see you for mortgages. Mm -hmm. we, see, we see people for mortgages, insurances, investments, pensions, everything. Everything. Jeez, this is good. Yeah, this is. So when you say insurances, this is like household, domestic, car, all of that, or? We tend to stick, we tend to come away from the general insurance. We do house insurance when we're doing people's mortgages if they need yeah. to. But general insurance is so broad and there's so many specialists out there and so many different insurers as well. Um, what? The areas I specialise in in insurance are your health insurances, like life insurance, yeah. critical illness, income protection. Because I'm a firm believer of good financial well-being. At the core of that is protecting yourself against the unknown, things that might go wrong. So you've got to have you have good financial well-being. You've got to be secure now. And happy with what you've got now, but you've also got to keep an eye to the future and just make sure that you're you're protecting yourself against anything that could go wrong, um, but also planning for all the good things too. And how much how much money would somebody need to come and see you? Like, if if somebody just how can I put it? It's it's you know because like it's just like it's such, should somebody be putting away? Because I, I I'm somebody that has been poor with his finances over the years. And now he's hit his 40s, I'm 46, and I'm now like, you better start doing something. <laughs> I mean, I have a couple of company pensions, a couple of company pensions, so I'm, I'm not completely lost. And health permitting, I probably will be one of those people that will just choose to work until he can, has, to, has to stop. Because I've always worked, and I, you know, I don't, I mean, look, right here. I work full time, and I do this when I'm not at work because I don't like sitting around doing anything. Um, so, what ha I mean, like, realistically, if somebody wants to come and see you to start doing financial planning, what sort of budget do they need to be thinking of to begin with? We have um, a couple of different service offerings, so to make it more accessible. So, my financial planning. Um, that would be where we do a bit of everything. We take you through the whole journey. Um, I would say you'd probably want to have between fifty and a hundred thousand in your pension yeah. to make it worthwhile to do the whole gold start standard. But the financial advice piece that we can do. So, say for example, if you were I don't know, you were in 20s, 30s, and you wanted to get involved in investing, you wanted to, to, to plan for the future and save for the future, we would probably um, skip out a few bits of the planning service and just go straight to financial advice because the planning stuff comes in a bit later on or maybe yeah. if you were planning to have a family uh, and you wanted to plan for how you could... Um, one of you could drop, drop down hours or, or things like that. So financial advice wise, we don't have a minimum threshold. So as long, the important thing to remember with financial advisors is there's a fee to pay. So as yeah. long as the fee is affordable, and that's one of my things is, I see a massive gap in the industry for uh, people who don't get financial advice, very often the ones that need financial advice because yeah. they're gonna be stuck doing what they're doing so we try and make it as inclusive for everybody so i um i have a service that uh, so for example if somebody wants to just come and set up a pension with me i just charge a setup fee um based on the number of hours that it takes me to do that um, and i tend to find that that's quite popular with younger people where they can just come in say michelle i need a pension and i say tell me how much you want to put in this is the best pension provider. This is the type of investment strategy I think we should follow. We'll review it every year and I'll do all of that for a one-off cost. And that would be um, sort of 500 pounds and then yeah. it will be set and done. We don't charge for mortgages because we we believe that advice should be for everybody. Yeah. And very yeah. often the people that can't afford to pay the advice fees are the very people that need it. Okay. So where we can be paid by 
a product provider, so we can be paid commission by the mortgage lender, we would get that anyway, whether we charge a fee or not. We choose not to charge fees, so we can make uh, financial advice inclusive for everybody. And we don't charge a fee for insurances either, because we can get commission from them as well. So where we can, we take our payment from the providers. So that's actually quite interesting, because most people would assume that if they're being charged a fee, that the person charging the fee isn't receiving a commission. Hmm. Yeah. That, <laughs> so they're effectively being paid twice. Yeah, so uh, there is a great debate across that. I'll get lynched now by the rest of the mortgage advisors. <laughs> what, for being honest? <laughs> the irony, yeah. the financial services getting annoyed at one of their advisors being honest. But there's a great debate because we don't get, um, so as a mortgage advisor, I'll give you advice um, and then I'll set, up the, I'll set up the mortgage and then I'll get paid once you've moved into your home. If you don't move into that home or you, or you decide not to do it, then I'll never get paid. Yeah. So some of the advisors feel that, uh, and each to their own, there's, a, there's lots of debates around fees in financial services, but we just, we've seen a lot of people be charged fees where I didn't think it was fair for them to yeah. be charged a fee. I didn't think they were able to. Uh, I've worked for companies before and had to charge fees for mortgage advice, uh, which I didn't always agree with, which is why I went on my own, so that I yeah. could do my own thing. I mean, because I think it's important to remember, you can't, you can't provide good sound advice if you're worried about your own bills because people aren't paying. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. it, do you know what I mean? So in defence of the financial services, like I mean, you've made a very good point. If, if you do all of the legwork, recommend a mortgage, and that person decides against that mortgage, well, then that that's free. They can just yeah. go. They've gone somewhere else, and but you you still have to keep a roof over your head. You still have to pay your bills. So yeah. from that perspective, I do kind of yeah. Actually, I I don't know what I would do if I was a financial advisor. I'm like, oh look, you know, because. I can imagine you only have to get stung with that a few times in, in you know, in sort of succession mm -hmm. before you like, I'm going to have to start charging fees now to, to cover my time because, you know, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, that's yeah. Very... And, the, and the administrative costs as well and things like that, they all. But time, it's, time is money. It's, you know, everybody. Sorry, I think... Yeah, so it's, it's Zoom. Everybody's used to it, you know. Um, is yeah, it's just, yeah. See, I, that's a quandary now, isn't it? Because it's very easy to be cynical of financial services, you know. But you're right. If people then don't don't use it, and you haven't charged a fee, you have to you have your own bills to pay. You know, you have to make a living. And what kind of financial advisor would that make? Who's skint because they're, they're providing great services, but actually they're not they're not getting paid for. Yeah, and I think uh, most clients, I mean, we're, with the regulation, the way that regulation works is we everybody used to get commission, so or everybody just used to get commission. Yeah. Um, but the financial services regulator, the FCA, um, a couple of years ago felt that that wasn't appropriate for financial advisors to be receiving commission because you can be induced maybe into recommending something that maybe wasn't the best thing for the client. So if the client pays the fee, the client gets, you know that the advisor's working for you. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's ways that we facilitate it through the investment as well. So you're not having to write out checks or anything like that. And fees are always agreed in advance. So if somebody came to see me, we do an initial, we do our initial appointments for free so that we can make sure that people want to work with us and we want to work with them. Yeah. Uh, being a financial planner or a financial advisor, we build it's relationship. Uh, we build a relationship with that person, so it's really important that we're on the same page and we're going to get the same things out of it. Or else, the client's not going to get what they need from us if we're not uh, able to 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 have that good relationship where we can be honest. Because sometimes we need to be brutally honest about yeah, yeah. what's going yeah. on and uh, what you need to do. So we do the initial meetings complimentary and then we write a fee agreement out that the client agrees to and if they're happy we go ahead and how does somebody know if somebody is 
an actual independent financial advisor? So this were the independent side of things. So if they're an independent financial advisor, they'll have um, that lit up in light. They'll be called independent financial advisors. We are not classified as independent financial advisors. We're classed as restricted. So I was an independent financial advisor until um, August. But what I found was it was virtually impossible to do what um, the word independent means. So the word independent basically means we will, we're not bound by any insurance company. We're not tied to anybody. We're not yeah. going to just sell one person. Uh, we're not going to recommend the same provider for the same thing over and over again. And what I found was the level of research that needs to go into who the product provider is to make sure they're a good fit for the client was so extensive that it didn't make sense for me to do it. And I could go to uh, one of the big networks. Um, so I'm part of the Quilter Network. Okay. So what quilters do is they invest a million pounds a year into researching product providers and funds. So there's millions and millions of different funds out there. And I, they all have a different mandate. They all have a different job of what they say they're going to do. And they all have different managers. And quilter pay a million pounds a year to research all of those things and say, like the most standard clients that want to just put away money for their retirement or they just want to grow or they want to take an income, then these funds, these however many funds we have, are the right funds for these clients. Anything, anybody that doesn't fit into that mold, you can be independent. Go, then go and research the funds that you need for that specific person's requirements. Um, and then you're independent. But Completely independent means working for my client. If I'm not working for an insurance company, I'm working for my client. So if you come to me and you want to save tax, yeah. I'm going to work for you to save tax. So to me, it, there's two different ways of looking at it. Independent in the regulatory sense of the word means being able to go to any um, product provider and any fund, um, but independence to me means working for my client and not for an insurance company and that's what I do but yeah because it is actually it's, it is no but it is actually again something worth mentioning is that <clears throat> regardless of the status of somebody if somebody calls themselves independent or not there are only x amount of providers of the actual service mm -hmm. you know um I know this through insurance companies there is something like a mm -hmm. hundred thousand insurance companies but I think in the UK, but there's only something like about six or seven underwriters, if, yeah. if, if that. Yeah. So you're yeah. actually being insured by something like one of five companies. It's just, yeah. it's got somebody else's letterhead on it because yeah. the underwriters are the ones that are actually insuring you. And so yeah. I'm assuming it's the same with the money markets in, in the investment market. There are only, very similar to banks, but for all of the banks that are out there, they all offer the same services. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, exactly that. that. We, yeah, it's very similar to that. So you'll have an insurance company. Each insurance company probably has all of the same funds sitting on it. Um, you, they're, yeah. they're just universal yeah. funds, so you can uh, pick up them from anywhere. Uh, but each product provider will have slightly different charging structure or a slightly different way of being able to withdraw your money or. Uh, just ever so slight subtle differences. But for me, uh, when I was making the decision about whether the, my new company was going to be independent or restricted, the most important thing for me was just knowing that I'm working for clients. Yeah. So I don't want to do all the research into the investment strategy of each individual investment manager across the UK. So I said, well, Quilter are doing that for me. I'm happy to call myself restricted as long as my clients understand that that means that I work for them, not for anybody else. Then I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, but it's yeah because I think it is. It's very worth. Uh, sorry, um, I just want to keep going over this a bit because I don't yeah. think I actually understand what you mean. Um, mm. Is because I don't think people understand that even if somebody says they're independent, there are mm -hmm. only so many um, avenues they can go to to buy services from. Mm. So, yeah. all, all you've done is said, well. I'm already 
I'm just affiliated to this these providers of a service. Mm-hmm. You know, but an independent could also be buying from these people as well. But they might also choose to buy from Absolutely. that person. But they won't actually be sitting there for forty hours working on your pension trying to get you the best deal. They're just going to go to an affiliate service. So we kind of with financial services, and this I think was the thing that frustrated me when I was new. With financial services, it's all so similar. It, hmm. There's very little difference between anybody, and you spend all this time researching and trying to think, well, who's the best person for this? It's different with mortgages. Each mortgage lender has a different set of criteria, um, so it's, and they have different interest rates as well. You're not going to get a better performance from one product provider to another because the actual underlying investment that you're going into can be picked up off of each of the different product providers. What you're going to get is maybe a difference in uh, service, whether they communicate with you online or by post or whether they charge you um, four basis points or five. Or uh, It's very little difference. And we all have our favourites. Yeah. Uh, I think every financial advisor will. But once you know somebody's offering, you know it really well. You know how it's yeah. going to work for your clients. Um, so I don't think that, I think most, I think you're right. Most financial, where whenever you go in to see a financial advisor, they're going to get the best deal for you or the right thing for you because financial advice is about getting something that's right for you, right yeah. for your plan, yeah. right for the future. And I believe every single financial advisor is capable of that and will do that. Um, but whether they're in, I don't think the independence will make a difference to that. No, no, I, I don't. You know, and you know, not disparaging any independence, I'm sure, but just kind of making it clear to people that look, in, independent financial advisors will still be going to some form of um, service provider for for the product, yeah. and they will have their favourites, um, which represent what they think best suits the, the needs of their company. Absolutely, yeah. One of the things I would be interested to know if if you had an opportunity, say, Wiltshire Council phoned you up and said, we want you to go into schools to teach 15-year-olds about finance. Yeah. The floor is yours. <laughs> uh, so I'm an education champion for um, our regulatory body, our, not our regulatory body, our um, examining body. So we, we're all members of different companies for our, um, for our professionalism. So we have to maintain a professional standard. And my body is the Chartered Institute of Insurers. Yeah. So that's what I've done all my qualifications with. So I'm a member and I keep up to date with all their rules on maintaining my professionalism. And they have, uh, they have a couple of different ways of bringing financial education to the masses. And uh, I'm part of both of them, two of them. One is education champions. So I have four workshops to deliver to children from the age of 15, I think it's um, yeah. most appropriate. Um, and it's basic financial skills, um, budget planning, how to do budget planning, um, tax, looking at pay slips and working out the tax implications and national insurance, what all those things mean. Um, goal planning, which I think is really, that's my favorite one, goal planning. Um, and then scam awareness. They're making yeah. sure they're aware of all sorts of different um, financial scams and frauds and things like that and how to avoid them and how to make sure they don't get um, affected by those. So we, did, we can deliver those four in local schools. Now, I became an education champion about a month before lockdown. So we haven't, I haven't actually managed to get into any schools yet to deliver, but I personally have, um, I have four children and two stepchildren. So I delivered financial education. You must be fun at Christmas and birthdays when all that money comes out. Riot, I'm a riot. They must be, don't tell mum that I got 50 quid off Nana. Don't tell her, don't tell her. Yeah, they don't don't save their money, which is, uh, um, I don't mind because when I was 15, I used to spend my money as well. But But it would, um, because that's the thing is, I, like I said, is I look at, you know, as somebody that coaches as well, right, mm-hmm. we can't help but look at our habits that brought us to where we are today. And I look at my financial habits and I'm like, you're a prick. You are the worst <laughs> example of somebody when it comes to financial habits. Do, do you know what I mean? <clears throat> I yeah. lived in the moment all of the time. 
-hmm. just constantly lived in i've got a job i've got paid you know and i just like there is nothing yeah there's no way that in any way shape or form i can say anything that i have made ever made a, a sound financial decision you know <clears throat> and i think part of that stems because we just nobody taught us that just it's for me education on any subject is important if you don't understand you know <clears throat> if somebody had told me when i was 15 about things like dividends on shares compound yeah. interest yeah compound and just interest. <laughs> yeah just just the really simple things like look if you drip feed this account right i know it's dull and i know it's boring but if you can just drip feed an account this amount you know just whatever you've got and then just by the time you get to 60 you will actually have some money oh loads yeah if you did a little if you invested um so i have um i i have three older children one's 18 one's um nearly 16 and then one's 13 and i have a baby as well um, but she can't do anything with her financial habits at the moment. But I really want to build... Good <laughs> and you're very pleased with that. <laughs> I I genuinely believe that your money habits are completely learned by the time you're seven. Yeah. So that I believe that everything you know and everything you do with your money was learnt by the time you were seven. So all of the stories that you tell yourself about how you behave with money, what money's for, how whether money's easy to get or it's hard to get, that's all things that you learn as a child. Um, so we're trying, I'm trying to make uh, for the baby really good habits so that she, she automatically has them. But the older ones, because um, I haven't always been a financial advisor, um, where, when they were younger, maybe I didn't have the, the right attitude towards finances, which is why I spend their money. Um, but now they're getting older, so my eldest works, and he he lives at home, so he doesn't need all of that disposable income. If he has loads of disposable income, it's going to go on McDonald's, Domino's, all of those places, and maybe a couple of quid down in Primark or Topshop. That's all that it's going to do. So I um, encouraged him to put the maximum percentage that his company will match his pension contribution. So he's putting in, I think he's got 8% going in and his company's putting in 8% as well. That's good. So he's, yeah, really good. Because he doesn't need the money. What does he need the money for? But that little pot that he's building up now, because he's up the early part of his career, so that's not going to be a massive amount. But that's 8% of money that he wouldn't have had if his company's not just going to give him an extra 8% because they he didn't take his pension out. So he might as well benefit from it now. But that little pot that he's building now will be worth a significant amount when he does retire because of the beauty of compound returns. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and it's tax efficient. He It gets an automatic 20% uplift because pensions don't, your pension contribution is tax loose. They don't pay tax on what you pay into the pension. So if he had it, he'd lose 20%. But because he's putting it in, he gains 20%. So automatically worth more money than it would have been in his own pocket. Um, but it's also planning for the future. And it means that when he has babies, which I'm hoping he does, so I can be a nan, um, <laughs> when he decides no, to have babies... No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure, children. <laughs> but when he does, he can go, ah, oh, now is the time where I can pull back on my pension contributions, but it won't affect me in later life. Mm. So I'll still have mm. a good pension. I won't need to ramp up when I'm 50 because he's done a lot of the hard work uh, from a teenager. And then um, my middle son, in terms of education at home, so the government very kindly provided all of our children, I uh, can't remember what year they stopped it, but they started it in 2002. Yeah, that was at um, £250, wasn't it? I'm going to say probably 2013-14 or something like that, um, where they stopped doing it. But Ben um, is my middle one. He's just about to turn 16, so he now becomes the controller of the £250 that he got. You and but I both know he doesn't. He, um, he won't get it until he's 18. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's absolutely not going to. 
Yeah, him and his um, him and his girlfriend. I said to them the other day, get your paperwork for your child trust fund, bring them over, and I'm going to teach them how to invest that money, and I'm going to teach them about um, stocks and shares, bonds, um, property, all of those things that that money will be invested in. I'm going to teach them about charges, and they're going to use that 250 pounds in my. I know it's worth a lot more than 250 now, um, but I haven't seen the statement for a while, so I'm not sure what it's worth now. But yeah. I know it's worth a good amount because it's been invested um, since they were born. So 16 years of investment has made that 250 pound grow, and I can teach them. And I think that's going to get them excited when they can see, look, this is my real life money that when I'm 18 I'm going to have, and it will teach them good habits in terms of a how investment works because that's really important to know. Not a lot of people understand how investments work, but B, it will teach them about planning for how to use your money. What's yeah. this money for? Are you really gonna go out and buy a PlayStation 5? No, he's not. No. <laughs> he will not be buying a PlayStation 5. Um, he's, gonna, he's gonna plan what to do with that money, what it's gonna be for. Is he gonna take it out at 18 and use it to buy a car? Or is he going to keep it invested for his first house and that's going to be the foundation of his deposit. What does he need to do to build on that deposit? How is he going to buy his first house? All of those things, I'm going to encourage them to do all of that work. So I'm going to do a little bit of financial planning with them, but I think that I think that can be a really good way of getting kids engaged with finances. I agree completely because, I mean, <clears throat> like, you know, like lots of kids who were born in the 70s, you know, so I was born in 74, you know, the whole generation, working class, middle class, and all of that, that was a, bit, a huge thing back then. And lots of us came from kind of low-income families. And the idea of having financial advice or stepping into a bank for financial advice, you, you just were not going to do it. You know, mm -hmm. Banks were very structured, it was very institutionalized. And unless you were kind of from a certain income level, you were not going to even utter the words, who do I see for financial advice? Because they'd be mm -hmm. like... You don't see anybody. So we all grew up with this lack of education, which wasn't mm -hmm. then taught in schools, you know. Because yeah. if somebody had actually sat me down at 14 or 15 and said to me, if you do this and drip feed this account, by the time you're 40, 50, 60, you won't have to work again. Or mm -hmm. you'll be working because you want to work. It won't be a necessity. Yeah, you know, you might not have your own house, you might not have a Rolls Royce in the drive, but in terms of an actual income, you will earn your the, your salary every year off, off this. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that 15, 14, 15 year old that I was then would not have bought into that straight away. Mm -hmm. I would just be like, come again. I can have how much money <laughs> by the in 20, because I would have done the numbers because I was good like that. Yeah. But nobody ever taught me that if you put a pound a week away, that that could be, five, you know, half a million pound by the time you're 40. Yeah. You yeah. know, obviously the pound a week increases, you know, but then, you know, when you get a job, and by the way, if you get a second job, and if you do this and you keep putting this money into this, mm -hmm. I would have done the sums in terms of, hang on, that becomes this. But yeah. no, nobody taught me about stocks, shares, dividends, compound interest, mm. you know, and... It's, it's such a shame that nobody, it's such a shame, and we're still not talking enough about it either. There's so many programs to engage um, financial education now uh, in the schools, which is great, but we're missing a whole group of people. We're missing the um, everybody that's now left school up until the age of um, 60. All of these people that don't think that they should get financial advice because they're not from, they're not, it's not for them. It's not their background. Yeah. So, and that's where um, I, the advice gap comes in is, um, so my parents are a classic example. My parents were both brought up in Plymouth. Um, my dad was from a council estate. Mum um, was from uh, an ex-council house, their dad was a dockyard worker, my dad's dad was a taxi driver, so not from a massively affluent family. And my dad joined the RAF and travelled around, so got a good financial basis on the pension because he, he served his time. They were always told it was important. Uh, and then he's worked his way up the career ladder to now be to being a, a fairly high earner. And 
they never got financial advice. Never ever have they got financial advice. And they've made some financial decisions in the past, um, which now I'm a financial advisor. I look at and go, why did you do that? Who told you to do that? Why did they tell you to do that? Why did you do that? Um, and they go, well, I don't know. Nobody told us to do it. But they, if they'd have got financial advice, they would have been in a slightly better position now. But I sat in the um, living room last week, so I give them bits of financial advice, but I've never sat down with them and gone through my full financial planning uh, service. And I did that last week for them. And my dad can afford to retire now. And he thought that he had to work until he was 67. So he was planning on another um, good sort of seven years of working in a job which he's not loving massively at the moment. Yeah. So it's a high pressure environment. He's getting older. Maybe he wants to enjoy his life. But now I've given him the choice and I've sat in front of him and I've said, well, now you have a choice. What are you going to do with it? And now he's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. So that's where the coaching part comes in. So we're going to have to try and find out what it is that he does want and get him to do it. But because he'd avoided financial advice, because he thought, I know numbers, I know spreadsheets, I know where all my accounts are, and he's good at it, but he doesn't have the financial advice side of things, which is where we come in and we can just unlock that little bit more potential from your existing circumstances and just change your life. And that's what it's all about for me. It is, because like, <clears throat> nobody ever explained the returns <clears throat> you know, like, look, it seems silly, but that one pound a week will become 10 pound a week, which will become a hundred pound a month. Mm -hmm. And over a period of time, that all adds up into a lump sum. And mm -hmm. that return is on the entire lump sum, hence compound. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. goes up every year, you know, and you die. And like I said, it, <clears throat> I never knew any of this and nobody ever taught any of this. So so when you go and do, when you're going into one of these schools and you're going to do education programming, what, what is it you are going to hopefully um, get these kids to learn? So I'm hoping that I give them a good foundation. I'm hoping that they'll want to engage in talking about money because I think the more, first of all, that's my biggest thing is we all need to start talking about money because we've somehow made it um it's taboo, isn't it? Very yeah. few people will talk to other people about their money, but actually by talking to each other about things, we learn new things and we get better understanding and we learn new tricks and tips and things like that. So one, I want them to understand that it's okay to talk about money. It's all, it's okay to get help about your money. It's okay to, you know, to be involved with your money. You don't just ignore it and it's just there because it has to be. So that's my first hope. My second is that that I bring awareness to some of the good habits um, because we are a nation of debt. We love a bit of debt and debt, debt and financial problems is massive. Um, it's such a huge issue in terms of affecting people's mental health that we just need to form really good habits from when we're young. We just have to need to have a better understanding. So. I want that as well, but I want them to plan for their future. I want them to get excited about what they can do and not just get involved in the drudgery of I've got to do this because I've got to do it. Like nobody wants to go to work every day, not wanting to go to work. You want to have a purpose. You want to have yeah. a passion. <clears throat> and um, I'm hoping that my education will bring that to people. Yeah. Cause I think something that, um, especially when you're a teenager, it's hard, to, it's hard to understand. Because you haven't had 20, 30 years of Monday to Fridays yeah. commuting. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? exactly that response, right? It's like, and you think in your head that I'll just get lucky. This will happen. I'll, you know, and, and now with the Instagram lifestyle, I mean, the get rich scheme, quick schemes have always been around. They just used to be in the back of magazines. You know? mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, but what you can't get them to understand is or well, I suppose that's the trick. If you can get them to understand, there's going to be a, a learning curve as you go through life mm. where you're going to get some money and it's not going to be as much as you want. And then if you're lucky, you'll get some exposed, uh, expendable income. But there will come a point where you wish you didn't have to work. Not, yeah. I don't want to work. You, you will wish you didn't have to. It's the have to. Yeah. 
And if you start planning at 15, when you get to that point of, oh, I'm feeling like I have to work, mm-hmm. you'd be like, oh, I don't. I have enough money. But if I carry on working, I'm just going to have, yeah, I'll have more money. But it actually comes down to not thinking that one day you're going to have a hundred thousand pound a year salary, a 250 grand salary, that you're going to be famous. Because look, you're not, you're, you most likely are not because, you know, if, if we do it in terms of numbers, if there's a hundred people in the room, just by sheer volume, there's only enough space for one of those people to be above a certain bracket. And that will be determined by a few things, good fortune, <clears throat> how hard they work, and the chances they took. Mm-hmm. And then throw in some luck. And that's only going to happen to a couple of people out of that 200. And some of them might be because they work 80 hours a week when you didn't want to get out of bed. Or some of them might just happen to know somebody. Or some of them just saw a, an opportunity they didn't even realise was an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I'll just do this and it blows up. you know. And, and that's chance. <clears throat> but if that's how you're going to live your life, thinking that's going to happen, which is what pretty much all of us thought we were going to do at 15, or just didn't even think about it. Just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, what's for dinner on Friday? You know, that, that was probably yeah. the extent of, of my planning is uh, when am I eating? You know, yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I was 15. And they, yeah, it, it's getting them to understand that there's that point in your life where you, you don't, want to have to work anymore and guess yeah. what if you, if you do it now you won't have to when you get to that point it, it's dev- there's so many different little choices that we end up making it's, uh, my favorite um analogy for it is <clears throat> if you were going to go somewhere that you hadn't been before you'd put your sat nav on so, or google maps whatever you yeah. use now um you put your sat nav on and you'd plan your journey but we don't know where we're going in life, but very few people plan it. And I said, um, one of the games that we play in the financial education sessions is, um, here's three houses. Which one do you want to live in? What kind of house do you want to live in when you're older? And so you pick a house. And everybody picks different houses. Not everybody picks the big house. Some people pick the middle house and some people pick the the smaller house, which fascinates me because I'm always like, oh, I've gone into that decision. Um, and then <laughs> pick which car you want. And um, there's a couple of other things that you pick. And then at the end of it, I total up the amount of money they're going to need to earn a year in order to achieve that lifestyle. So then I say, right, so this is the kind of salary you're going to need for this lifestyle. Um, and these are the sorts of jobs that each bracket will have as well. And then we play a game where um, you have all of these different, um, you have all these different jobs, and they've got to choose what sal- what salary they think that each yeah. person earns, and that gets them really engaged in terms of their future. Well, if I want that big house, I'm gonna have to put a shift in in college, and I'm gonna have to do university or, or whatever, and I'm these are the steps that I'm gonna need to take on this journey to get that lifestyle. And um, it's really interesting to see how. Some of them change their minds about what yeah. they're thinking yeah. and how to get engaged in terms of schooling and things like that. Yeah, because I kind of, you know, like it's a hindsight, you know, we're all incredibly wise with hindsight. But it's just like, if I'd realised um, just two seconds, I'm just going to check something. Sorry, a little thing flashed up on my computer then. I said, I'm just going to check I'm still recording because every now and again I get these little hitches do you know what I mean and and I did one podcast yeah. I did one podcast yeah. and I didn't realize because having a conversation like you and I are now I didn't realize I hadn't recorded that that for whatever reason there was a technical problem and it never oh, picked no. up so yeah this whole podcast with this guy in California and it's just like oh, okay but yeah is if somebody oh, yeah. <laughs> explained to me like if you go and get a second job yes you're going to be taxed at basic rate 25% but if you just stick that wage every month into something, within 10 years, you will be blown away by how much money that is. 
You know. My dad didn't believe in uh, the part. The um, reason I went around to go and see him is because he kept going on about his pension. He kept telling me I walked on water because uh, when he started this new job that he's in now, he said, uh, "You got to do the pension." I was, uh, he said, "No, I'm not going to do the pension. I've got my RAF pension. I'll be fine." I said, "No, you've got to do the pension. Just put some money into the pension, and they'll match it for you. It'd be great." So, so, so he did it, and then it started to grow. So then he upped the contributions. So now he's maxed out on the contributions, and they match them. And his pension pot has grown significantly more than he put in. He yeah. thinks it's the best thing since sliced bread. So now I can do no wrong at my mum. <laughs> <laughs> but that's actually, that's the, probably the best point, isn't it? Is it will grow with compounding. It will grow significantly more than you ever put in. Yeah, massive. You just don't. So the way it works is um, with most investments is you buy a unit. So you buy a unit for a pound, say for example, and then the next day that unit might be worth one pound five p, and the next day, the day after it might be worth ninety eight p, and then the next day it might be worth one pound one pound ten, and it's the the value of the unit grows, and then you get when you put a little bit more money in, if you buy more units when the price people hate investing when the stock market falls, but actually that's the best time to invest because everything's on sale, discounted buy now it will go back up so the price fluctuates regularly so if you if you bought yourself 100 units at a pound when they're all worth one pound ten you've got a load more money than you have before so that's how and that's the beauty of it it's just it just works and yeah. it always works. so moving on because i just if there's any parents out there now with mm -hmm young children because it's, it's it's you know it's pretty much for every parent that is probably the biggest concern is when are my kids gonna bugger off right <laughs> is got our dates written in the diary <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know and and you want them to, to sort of bugger off in a way that um who in a way that they're not coming back for handouts um <clears throat> what would you and to be fair lots of parents will you know will go without to put something in to, for their kids so if there's somebody out there now who that they're not you know they, they think they're on low income or whatever um but they they have a child what would you suggest they started doing um so i would if you've got a child that doesn't have the child trust fund already um and you can put a little, and you want them to have a little bit of money behind them to go. The best way of saving for your children is through a junior ISA. Um, and that can be a stocks and shares junior ISA. And I, if you've got, if they don't need the money, as in they haven't, if they lost that money, it wouldn't materially affect their lives. If they didn't know they ever had it in the first yeah. place, it wouldn't. Um, then put it into stocks and shares, the JICES, um, so junior ISA, and you can do that every year. Um, it's quite a low maximum. I think it's, um, it's a weird amount, something like £4,000 a year that you can put in because saving money for your children has tax consequences on you. Right. So you have to be careful that it doesn't in a junior ISA. Um, so you put, put some money in stocks and shares and you'll be surprised at how that little bit of money grows. And also, if you are on a low income yourself and you're thinking, well, this isn't for me, I'm never going to be able to save, I'm never going to be able to invest. There, um, if you are on universal credit, uh, and I think there's a couple of other benefits as well, there is a specialist um, ISA for people and that's for people on benefits where the government will put in a bonus amount. If you put a pound in, they'll put some money in as well. So basically it works almost like a pension. So when you put money into a pension, the government don't tax you on that money. When you put money into an ISA, you've already paid tax on the money that's going into the ISA, but it's tax free on the uh, it, when it's been invested and when you take it out. Um, but this this government scheme for people on benefits, if you put some money in, they'll give you a bonus into the account as well, so they'll be saving at the same time as you. Okay. It's instant access. Okay. You can take your money back out whenever you want it. Uh, but it's to encourage people that um, think that 
saving isn't for them because they're on low income. Even if you can just put a pound in, um, you'll be surprised at how it grows. Yeah. And it, was, it can never be millions, but, well, that's not true. It could be millions once. So I don't quite know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's, it's true, though, isn't it? Because that, that pound a week is £52 at the end of the year, which will compound. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And by the time somebody gets to sort of um, to eighteen, you know, it's mm -hmm. more. It will be more than the eighteen hundred pound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And absolutely. You know, and then yeah, that's a significant amount of money. I, I wouldn't get if somebody said to me, "Can I have eighteen hundred pound for no return?" I wouldn't give it to you. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, but it's it's true, isn't it? It's but we yeah. we don't understand that one pound a week, over eighteen years. Is, is I know it's slightly more than eighteen hundred pound, but I'm showing my math skills there. But but with compound interest, it will probably end up being closer to two thousand or something, or just over two thousand pound. You know, definitely, especially in this current environment. If you yeah. put it into um, if you put it into stock it, proper investments, not just cash with your local bank building society, because cash is no good. Cash is going backwards now. Cash is. You'll get interest on your savings, but it will always be less than inflation. So your money is going backwards if you put... You've got to have a little bit of money in cash to for emergencies. But if you're thinking of saving, you're thinking, well, I want to get involved in that, then these government accounts are really good because they'll contribute, you'll contribute, you'll have it invested, you will have some money, and it you'll feel really good yeah. about those decisions that you've made just even the tiniest bit that you can put into it will make a difference to you in the long run so you just said something there that's a bit interesting to me so <clears throat> i'm going to divulge something that's quite personal but i've recently started this ambition of trying to have enough money saved that i basically have a year's expenses if not closer to nearly a year's salary <clears throat> But mm -hmm. you wouldn't advise that, would you? So I would, um, you've got to have your emergency savings. Yeah. Uh, so you've got, because the problem with investments is they do go up and down. So they fluctuate in value. And in, in an emergency, you need to know how much, you, you need to have a set amount, which you've gone, that's my emergency. And it should be, um, we say three times your salary or sometimes five times your salary monthly. And what you don't want to happen to that money is you go to need it and all of a sudden it's worth less than it was a couple of weeks ago because we've had a stock market crash or something bad's happened yeah. in the market. <laughs> because investment risk only exists when you take that money out. And if you have to take it out, you've lost. Um, if you can bear with for a little bit, it will recover and then you haven't lost. Um, but we say emergency money should be left in cash. Therefore, invest money that you're investing, you should be prepared to leave it there for at least five years because of the fluctuations. If you really yeah. want to something, you should it should be invested for about five years. So that yeah, so okay, so that so kind of yeah, okay, so I see. So if I had enough money for six months of living, if I lost my job all of a sudden, mm -hmm. anything above that, invest it invest it yeah because the banks banks will put your money nicely away where you can get it where you can see it where you can touch it where you know it's always going to be worth the same amount and isn't that the problem that you know it's always going to be worth the same amount yeah yeah 100 yeah you know uh, whereas if you put your um if you put your money into an investment some days you'll look and it will be worth less than you put in and you'll go oh my god it's losing and then but then three months later you're looking it'll be well up from what you'll have made a good distance up between uh, some to be fair six months at the moment but you'll have made a good amount and then it will keep going unless something like covid happens so covid obviously hit our investment markets hard and um i to be fair most of my clients um they know that we've got a plan we've got a plan we've got a game plan that we're sticking yeah. to and it didn't it didn't make a difference because they know the only time you lose money in investments is, is when you take it out. Yeah. Um, so, but I had somebody that's very close to reaching their goal. So their goal that they wanted to achieve was um, in five years time, 
they want to be able to buy a house because they're living in tired accommodation at the moment. They wanted to invest to buy a house. So the money that they're investing is for the deposit for their dream home. So they were a little more nervous. And I said to them, it'll be okay, it'll be fine. But they were, but I mean, we're talking losses of 20% in a day, um, which is hard to stomach. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> they were a bit nervous. But they messaged me uh, last week and said, you were right, it's gone back up. We have no need to panic. Um, everything is good again. I uh, just wanted to let you know that you were right, which I, I love those kind of emails as well. The ones that tell me I was right. I yeah. <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, they're my favourite conversation. Oh, I'm right, yeah? I, yeah? I'm very good at saying I told you so. You know, it's, yeah. it's one of my favourite phrases. When I was down, <laughs> no, I told you so. So <laughs> just I'm just being conscious of the time, but I have another question I want to ask, Just um, okay. which is going to be the same theme sort of thing. But 20-year-olds. Right? Yes. Because I think this is when I made my worst financial mistakes. Right. Yeah. Because in in comparative terms, if you compare the price of living to when I was in my twenties, yeah, to where it is today, mm -hmm. I and in terms of salary, because I was a, a, in a limited company for a few years, I earned more money for about five years than I earn today. Yeah. Right? And I have nothing but hangovers and lack of memories to memories. show for it. No, well, no memories, because they were all just blotted out by the things I was doing in the 90s and the noughties. Do you know what I mean? But it, it was just, it was just, do you see what I'm saying? So it's just like, apart from disastrous purchases, um, fashion labels, high interest credit cards, and all of the yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right? And, and I genuinely, I had an interest in stocks and shares. And I even remember trying to invest in shares on the idea but i remember the shares back back then because you didn't have apps like you have now it was like i think it was like nine pound a month to be a member of this um yeah whatever it, this website or whatever it was uh who would manage your funds but you were always having to pay money for it so if they were never making money you were just always paying money over money over money you know yeah yeah do you know what i mean and so yeah, if 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 you know, apart from maybe anybody listening to this who's in their twenties to just come and see you or get in touch with you, but what would you say to them? Look, look, this is what you need to be doing with your income. Yeah. So the main thing I would say is, what would I say to you? Twenty. Um, have an eye on the future. You've got to think to the future. So how? you've got to be secure now you've got to be able to get to the end of the month to, for your own mental well-being but have an eye on the future and all of those things that you want to achieve um make the most of your workplace pensions because it's free money your employer has to pay into it um even if they're going to go with the government minimum they're still paying into it so don't opt out of those pensions whatever you do do not opt out of your workplace pension um, because you won't notice it, you won't notice the contribution going up, but make the most of it. Um, read up on what is available inside that pension as well. And if you don't understand it, then um, go and see a financial advisor. Most financial advisors will be happy to give you some free advice about what sort of funds you should be invested in, uh, and how to manage your workplace pension because I, th I do think financial advisors are a good bunch now I think um, there was a bad reputation um, hopefully most of those are gone um, from the, the regulatory changes but I think most financial advisors would be quite happy to pick up the phone to somebody in their 20s who was saying I've got this workplace pension I don't understand what this means can you give me some advice I'm sure mostly I would be um, and Educate yourself. Um, there's so many websites out there. Um, oh, there's a guy that does a blog, literally, um, I think it's almost daily, if not every other day. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's really good. Uh, also, he talks common sense and he's he's all about educating the masses, money to the masses. Um, the that's masses? him. <laughs> he's a financial advisor and he does podcast after podcast and all of it is about what investing is, how it works, and it's all free. 
all free content and there's so much out there now because we want people to have good financial habits we all as a as an industry i genuinely believe we want people to have enough money to live the life that they want and to do that you need to be thinking about your money it needs to not just be something that goes in the bank and you pay your bills and then whatever's left is whatever's left you've got to give it a job you've got to have a purpose for you and then you'll be more connected with your finances you'll be more connected with your financial goals and overall you will feel better you'll feel better mentally about your money and that's probably a great place to stop actually um yeah feel, just yeah <laughs> feeling better mentally about your money because that's brilliant huge yeah thank you very much thank you